Welcome everyone to Office Hours with Cloud Posse, your weekly dose of insider DevOps trends, AWS news, and Terraform insights, all sourced from our SweetOps community, plus a live Q&A that you can't find anywhere else. It's January 24th, 2024. My name is Eric Osterman and I'll be your host. Real quick, I'm the founder and CEO of Cloud Posse. We're a DevOps accelerator for startups that helps teams who are overwhelmed with AWS. We do this by using our over 200 plus Terraform modules that have been battle tested and downloaded over 100 million times. No matter where you find yourself on this journey, we are here to help your startup launch better products faster, free up your bandwidth for innovation so you can nail your value delivery every time. So if you or your team has been banging your head against the wall with underperforming infrastructure, just head over to cloudposse.com slash quiz. Again, cloudposse.com slash quiz. Answer a few quick questions and we'll chart a roadmap for success free. Uh, you'll get to meet directly with me and we'll work through your problems to see if we can really help you out or not. So uh, how can you maximize today's session? First off, our format is informal. Engage as much as you'd like, ask questions. If you're curious about any of our open source tools or modules, go for it. For those on the recording, we host these calls live, so don't miss out. Go to cloudposse.com slash office hours. Again, cloudposse.com slash office hours to join us live. Now, I do have one ask. If you find any portion of today's office hours valuable, please share it with your team. Just head over to youtube.com slash cloudposse. Again, youtube.com slash cloudposse to find the latest recording. Or maybe send us a short testimonial about the value you're getting in Slack. Just go to slack.cloudposse.com. Remember, we're not simply creating content here. We are building a community, and I can't do that. We can't do that without you. Thanks. And here, announcements. All right. So, uh, you know, start to a new year, doing some housekeeping that we uh, should have done long ago. Uh, we are updating our organization uh, community files. These are called the community health files. Uh, if you're not aware of them, uh, these are files like code of conduct, contributing, funding, governance, security, and support. What's cool about it is once you have added those files, they appear throughout your GitHub organization. For example, if you go to Terraform AWS components, uh, you have these tabs now. So you can click on the code of conduct to see you know, uh, the community guidelines that we ascribe to um, and want everyone to follow. Um, the license of the project, which you know is relative to the repository and, and a security um, advisory on how, like how to uh, submit uh, vulnerability reports and so forth. Uh, what the process looks like and so forth. Then if you go to say, create an issue, uh, for example, a bug report here, you have these helpful resources on the side here. It also shares that support.md file, or sorry, this is the contributing file. So how to uh, go about contributing um, support. So uh, how to get support. Um, the code of conduct, which I showed you in the security policy. So all of that stuff. So those files live in this uh, special repository in your organization called .github and uh, should be tailored to you know your organization and how you do open source. Um, the other uh, thing related to this is we are um, doing a slow rollout of updated uh, formatting for our repositories. Uh, we are adding banners. Uh, if you want to add nifty banners to your projects, it's super easy. Uh, we released a GitHub action. Let's see here. 
that generates screenshots. Um, so it's this screenshot action in the Cloud Posse GitHub screenshots organization. And all you need to do is, for example, create a folder with some HTML and some inline CSS, and then you can point the GitHub action to that. So if I go over to GitHub action workflows and like te this test.yaml here, this is reading that file and outputting an image of that screenshot with these dimensions. Uh, you can inject some CSS or rewrite some text on the uh, pay, on the HTML if you need to, for example, injecting the repository name into it. That'll commit a file. Uh, well, that workflow will commit a file to the repository with a banner like this, and you can do whatever you want. So great way to differentiate yourself if you are doing open source. Um, the other thing, uh, if you're not aware, um, you know, GitHub, uh, probably two years ago, released the ability to have um, organizational profile pages. So this is a great way if you want to spruce up your organizational profile page or you as a developer, if you want to have a really nice profile uh, image or banner, uh, you can use that screenshot for that. So we've developed uh, this uh, banner for our organization um, that highlights that. Cool. Any questions on the screenshot action? I'm going to be checking that out later this week. Thanks, Eric. <laughs> sure thing. Yeah, you do a lot of open source too, I think, right? Or, yeah. yeah, definitely. Our repos have a long way to go, but uh, you folks are definitely the golden standard from what I can tell. So thank you. Yeah. Well, you know, you plant seeds uh, and it takes a while for it to grow. Uh, found this, let's see, so those were the community and organizational files. Also, my, just a uh, request, if you do use, if you are active in our community and use our open source, um, I value your feedback. So please have a look at those community files and let us know if uh, there's something missing there. So there's been a lot of these uh, projects over the years open source status, status page sites, self-hosted. Uh, I always used to say statuspage.io, obviously before they were acquired. Man, that's the one startup I would have really loved to found because it's so simple and just seems like a cash cow uh, to host status page for companies when they're down and demonstrates its value. Well, then again, there's a whole bunch of people who don't want to pay for it because it is so simple. And here's an example of a simple self-hosted version uh, using modern frameworks to do that. Yeah. Um, although this, what was that? Oh, I was just going to say, yes, although this isn't all that useful if something, the, the same infrastructure is down that hosts your status page because you've got something down in your infrastructure. Yeah. Uh, uh, pro tip, do phase shifting. Uh, so uh, make sure you put this on a different cloud provider that they themselves aren't hosted on that same provider you're using. Uh, for example, if you're using, you deploy this on Heroku, but Heroku's on AWS, doesn't really help you if AWS is having problems. So, you know, uh, use uh, GCP and in AWS or AWS and Azure or vice versa, you know, just so uh, these things stay up. Even AWS has been uh, burned, their own status page was hosted in some way on the same infrastructure as all of AWS, and they weren't able to update their status page when uh, AWS was having problems. 
Yeah, that that was that was my tongue in cheek uh, comment yeah. that I was making. Yes. Yeah. Does this do um, pinging the probing as well? Like, uh, or is this just a status page? Like, I don't. I, I haven't re researched it uh, beyond this. Uh, ah, of so yeah, I'm not sure. I know one of the other popular ones was I mean, Numa, but yeah. So it looks like it does have real time monitoring. So it probably does have uh, pinging. To me, a status page isn't about that, though. To me, a status page is about getting that information in from your monitoring systems that things are down. So if you're using Pingdom, getting it from there. If you're using Datadog, getting it from there, et cetera. Sure. Yep, that makes sense. It looks like it does a little bit of both based on this. Yeah, it does. Yeah. One thing I like about this implementation, I took I briefly took a look at it, is that it uh, it it has localization settings so that all the incident statuses and everything else you see in your own local time zone when you look at it, which uh, is a lot easier. Like I find every time I'm looking at AWS's like or our major ones, I'm I'm doing all the uh, UTC calculations. 20 times to understand like what the incident was, when it started, when it ended, when they did this, when they did that. Now it actually uh, is right there for you in your own local time zone, which makes it easier. That's cool. Also nice little badges. Great to have uh, you know, in your repos, uh, also embeds. So while you should have a separate status page, you might want to, you know, for all but the worst uh, situations, you might want to embed part of those statuses uh, on your site. If you have a great uptime, why not put it on your marketing page? Like this is real time. Like we have, um, you know, 99.999% uptime. So you can actually put in uh, an if statement and check to see what your trailing 90 days of, uh, of history has been. And if an incident shows up, you can take it off of your marketing page automatically. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's cool. Uh, let's see here, next one. Oh yeah, another announcement from Cloud Posse. So uh, we maintain a public repository of all of our Terraform root modules. We call them components, which are opinionated root modules, uh, you know, implemented in the Cloud Posse manner. Uh, we just upstreamed one that we've been uh, using at uh, several customers for Glue. So this is a collection of components to provision glue, uh, and it works really well with Atmos. Uh, so our, our way of managing um, configurations. And what's nice about this is it's uh, you know it's built around the fundamental building blocks of glue. So uh, it's all just pure configuration at this point. If you follow this pattern, you don't need to write additional Terraform code uh, to deploy it. And each of these uh, individually have documentation, for example, of the stack configuration that you would use to configure that. Uh, Made me think about something else. Yeah, guess that was it. All right. Then the other announcement is last week we announced new features in Atmos, uh, specifically around, uh, what was it? I think it was, where was it? Forget where, 
the screenshots were And it was just in here. But anyways, if you go to uh, github.com cloud posse atmos. No, it wasn't there either. Uh, we have screenshots of it somewhere here. Uh, looks like I need we need to promote those uh, more throughout. We, we added the uh, interactive elements for um, uh, navigating stacks and components. Well, we just added that for workflows too. Um, and that screenshot, let's see, did it make it in here? Unfortunately, not there either. So, oops, I will check with Andre, but here's what that looks like. Uh, so now uh, if you have that uh, workflows configured in Atmos, um, very easy to surface those, navigate it uh, based on the manifest, the commands within that manifest, and then what will happen if you execute that. And then if you hit enter on that, it will actually go execute that workflow. Again, our first foray into uh, some of these UI improvements, uh, expect a lot more in this area so that uh, the tool becomes easier to use for newcomers uh, and advanced people alike. And that's in Atmos uh, 1.55. So weird. Where is are those screenshots? I swear they were here. Hey, Aaron, uh, I see you raised your hand. Sorry, I came late. Um, uh, Atmos is a cloud posse product. It is. It's one of our tools uh, for managing configuration. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. So I'll post that in the chat here. Oops. Or not. Where's the every? Huh. There we go. No. How do I? When you have too many uh, participants in the channel, it's hard to to select them the drop down to send it to everything, and I don't even see it in the list. Oh, I guess I won't be chatting. It, it now says meeting group chat. It changed from everyone to meeting group chat in that drop. -down. Oh, okay. Let's see here. And then the list is not even sorted. It's in totally random order. Oh, meeting yeah. group chat there. Okay, there we go. I, uh, I I hit that same limitation when they changed that uh, that UX. Like I don't know, I don't remember when that was, but not that long ago. So. <laughs> That was a nice uh, thing you brought to my attention that now Zoom has a status bar icon if you're on OS X or Mac um, that lets you change your camera easily and do the obvious, the, the most common little operations like you're changing your microphone, um, seeing what you're sharing and so forth. Yeah, and stop stop sharing is my most favorite one because I can never find where that Zoom window went once I started <laughs> sharing. <laughs> so yep. I'm glad they did that. That's a good one. Cool. Next announcement is a small one. You know, we, we've been following a lot of announcements that's coming out of gov.uk. They have a lot of awesome open source 
on their GitHub about the platform that they've built uh, for uh, various entities within the UK uh, government. So they have a, a write-up here on how they migrated Postgres database, leveraging services like DMS uh, with minimal downtime. So thought that was an interesting technical write-up. I came across this post this morning, uh, which I really want to uh, advertise. Uh, I think we should syndicate some of this, you know, in our own documentation. Uh, I thought this was a great write-up of a lot of recommendations for how to write highly reusable Terraform root modules. And okay, they also talk about Cloud Posse, so they must be pretty inspired by what we do. But um, it's a great summary of best practices. And you you can't link that uh, URL in our chat for some reason. Oh no, I can now. Matt helps me find the okay the way of doing that, and we'll we'll also post all these links afterwards. But uh, yeah, I'll post that here. Post Definitely in, feel free uh, to uh, upvote anything that you like there. Where would you be posting it in a Slack org? Oh, I just put it in the Zoom chat, but we'll also be sharing all links in the uh, Office Hours Slack channel. Uh, Slack channel. Okay. In Sweet yeah. ops Slack team. Yeah. All right. Next one was uh, something that I caught in passing, which is kind of interesting. Uh, so um, somebody asks if this uh, TF controller project is still alive. Look, there's been so many of these Kubernetes Terraform controllers out there. Most of them are started by weekend warriors. Some of them have been started by actual companies. And, uh, you know, this was probably one of the more promising endeavors to do that. I mean, WeaveWorks invented GitOps uh, they, with Flux. Let's say conceptually it's always been there, but they, they put a name to the, they labeled it. They put a name to the term or the practice. They have some great uh, products, including Flux, um, that do it. Uh, so I was uh, a concerned to see this post uh, that you know is the project still alive. But then um, uh, this person who responded here is sharing some uh, other details that apparently WeaveWorks as a company is having some trouble, which is pretty sad because I mean Flux is arguably one of the best uh, alternatives to Argo CD. Now we use Argo CD, but it's good always to have competition. And I hate to see open source companies uh, struggle. So sad to see uh, or hear this news. Um, does anyone know anything more about this? I wasn't across um, any, uh, I wasn't across your situation. Is this like financial troubles that the current company's having, having or is this like a lawsuit from HashiCorp? I don't know if anyone has any insight. There's a there's a lawsuit from HashiCorp. Oh no, I I I I'm just speculating. Oh, okay, pure speculation. Okay. Yeah, no, pure speculation. I wasn't sure if it's financial troubles. It sounds like you just highlighted the legal entity has issues, but nothing. Yeah, it says that uh, you can't go into details. But if you really want to know more, as a pointer, check out LinkedIn. Everyone's looking for a job. Maybe that's an ex gross exaggeration. Who knows? You know, uh, words like every everyone are often thrown around. It's it's not an exaggeration. I'll just say that. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Huh. That's really interesting. Whew. 
All right. Um, uh, Aaron, I saw you had your hand up. Oh, sorry. I just didn't lower it from last time. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> no worries. Is WeaveWorks the only company behind Flux as well? Or is there, are there more? Is it a collaboration now? Isn't Flux in the CNCF? I oh. think it is, yeah. It is. So, uh, yeah, so it's it's worth mentioning that it's fully graduated. So it probably doesn't put the future necessarily in jeopardy of Flux as a product, uh, because in order to, to reach maturity, it has to show a certain amount of commitment uh, and contributions, I believe. So uh, obviously it helps to have a corporate backer like uh, WeWorks driving all that forward. Yeah, I'm curious to see what happens. It's, I mean, I'm sure there's some contributor requirement for CNCF, but um, I, I think like Calico is like the main contributor behind their project or like Cilium. There's a company behind it that's driving majority of the development. So we'll yeah. be interesting to see if, um, yeah, what happens, I guess. I haven't been tracking Flux CD. I'm using Argo as well. So mm -hmm. yeah, I think. Weaveworks now has shifted to their their primary, or maybe sole, I don't know, but their primary way of earning income is uh, is hosted Flux. And I've heard some things that they're having uh, they're having some financial difficulties as well. So I don't know how true that part is, but I can confirm that there are tons of Weaveworks engineers that are looking for jobs. So I assume this, so Flux, uh, TF Controller, and Flannel is all from them, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it wasn't across even the uh, the Flux hosted option. That's good to know. That's the UI element, right? So otherwise, Flux is just purely console-based, and there's no visual front end, while Argo has the visual front end um, and not really a hosted option. What were you saying, Matt? Yeah, I think... No, I was just going to say, I think they, they own a bunch of things. They own uh, EKS control, um, the, what's that, the streaming database, Cortex, that streaming database. I think, like, they started all those different projects. So um, there's, a, there's a whole bunch of things that, they, that they're responsible for. Oh, no, I was working on Cortex just yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like you might need to swap that out. Uh, you're talking about the Cortex project, I think, right? The the Prometheus aggregator in Courier. It's like a Thanos option. No, it's hmm. a yeah, a time series database, basically. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> oh. Luckily, they're all open source, though. So hopefully, like if something did happen, they would, hmm. you know, continue in the CNCF. Oh yeah, here's a uh, open source. Oh yeah, there you go. EKS Cuddle, that's the one I was thinking. Oh about. yeah, really. I mean, this is the one yeah, that that's gotten behind too. So. Yeah, a lot of people use that. I think this is the AWS though canonical way of doing EKS. It is. Yeah, yeah. like that's in the documentation and tells you to do that. So, but I also think this is like hosted or somehow part of CNCF too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, a reason to worry, but I guess I'll see how the next couple of weeks go or the next couple of months. Hopefully there's not a whole lot of major breakage that pops up. 
Well, and, you know, th these things can go on for a while. Uh, this is just uh, rumblings of trouble and, you know, there's inertia. So sure. I'm immediately concerned. All right. And because no office hours is complete without another announcement of a Terraform private registry, the latest uh, Terraform private registry for uh, 2024 is Terac, a minimal private module registry for Terraform and OpenTOFU. So it's just remarkable how many of these private registry products are coming out. <laughs> Good, I guess, fun little side projects. And I don't know what the differentiator is with this one. Cool, uh, all the announcements I had, any other announcements? Uh, something caught your eye this week? AWS seemed pretty, AWS news seemed nothing uh, special. Yeah, on the AWS side, I think before the recording started, uh, 1.29 dropped. And then um, I think OpenTofu released their first patch release a few hours ago. So 1.6.1. See here, yeah, 1.6.1. Right, cool. Uh, yeah, Michael mentions we we did mention that Open Tofu went uh, GA about two weeks ago with an official release. Uh, which is this 1.6 release. So uh, yeah, hence this is the first official patch release of 1.6. I, I was gonna ask, uh, in your opinion, is it time to switch to open Tofu from Terraform? Like are, are all the supporting tools available? Things like an equivalent for TFENV and GitHub Actions, published GitHub Actions and things like that? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a fair question. I think it really depends on like how, what tools you use. Like uh, CloudPostly doesn't use TFM, so it, it's not a, uh, it isn't or never was a consideration. Um, in terms of GitHub action support for it, uh, it it's supposed to be more or less a uh, drop-in replacement at this stage um, to HashiCorp Terraform. So, so long as the GitHub Actions support changing the binary, or you have some way of, you know, aliasing your binary OpenTF to Terraform, then all of those should just work out of the box. So, I don't think uh, th from that side there's much. There was a uh, interesting discussion thread here on Reddit, uh, posted about seven hours ago now, uh, which has, you know, a which is interesting feedback um you know it does it's not uh, overly positive but it's not overly negative uh it sounds like a lot of people professionally would still continue using terraform and then personally start dabbling with uh open tf um i guess you know as a nascent fork it has some growing up to do uh you know people are naturally skittish about adopting something that their business depends on um altruistically so it has to prove itself. Yeah, I, I, I think right now, there, 
honestly, my my personal opinion is that the only people that should be using it now are the people that have to because they're violating the license, um, you know, for for mainline Terraform. I don't think I think right now the only differentiator between Open Tofu and mainline is uh, is it's open source still. Um, because the features haven't diverged or, you know, it hasn't proven to grow apart or, you know, anything like that. So I think the responsible thing to do would be if you're still legally allowed to use um, mainline Terraform, do so. Uh, if you're not, now you have an alternative that gets you out of the legal hot water. Uh, but I think that as we glance into the not too distant future, there's going to be a, a, divergent, a, a divergence of features no matter how hard the maintainers try, there are going to be things that, you know, they can't, that are only going to work with, you know, something in HashiCorp's, you know, ecosystem or whatever in order to make this work. And, um, you know, I, I think that, that then it becomes a much harder decision. But until that point, um, only do it if you have to legally. That would be my my personal, like, view on this whole thing. And is, um, is Open Tofu's stated purpose and goal to maintain feature parity and uh command line equivalence with terraform that that's definitely their their initial stated goal i think that's going my again my personal opinion i don't have inside insight into it or anything else but i think long term that's going to be very difficult to do as the um the two organizations maintaining it will have different uh We'll have different priorities and different goals um, for doing different things. So, yeah, that makes sense. Thanks. Yeah. As an example, I think you are you going to bring up the one of they want to use yeah interpolation and backend configurations as an example in Open Tofu. As soon as they do that, you'll no longer be able to just roll back to mainline Terraform because you can't use interpolation in in uh, backend configurations as an example like that. But that's a that's a really essential feature that we've been missing yeah. for years. Yeah. It is. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I I'm not saying what they're going to do is bad. I'm just saying right now, as we sit on January 24th, there's no compelling reason uh, to switch. Um, but I think that's going to change in the not too distant future. But not right now. I don't think there is, other than license, in my okay. opinion. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I agree with what Matt has said and. These will be really compelling reasons to switch to OpenTF um, because then there's a real differentiator that moves the needle. Um, but it'd be really cool to have uh, parameterized sources, for example. So, uh, you know, users of modules can try to test their luck by updating versions if they absolutely need that new feature or bug fix, even though the maintainer maybe hasn't released, um, you know, pinned the module to that new version. Uh, similarly, backends supporting variables would be really nice. So we, uh, you know, most companies doing anything with Terraform at a particular scale will probably be generating th those backend configurations either through command line arguments passed to Terraform or by generating the backend config, which is the approach Cloud Posse has taken. All right. So that was that announcement. That was this announcement. Cool. Any um, any other? Any other announcements?
All right, let's uh, jump over to Q&A. All right, so this is a portion of office hours, open-ended, uh, open mic. If you have anything you're grappling with, any questions, struggles, observations, philosophical questions related to our trade, uh, fire away. Aaron, uh, yeah, fire away. Sorry for raising my hand too much and hogging all the attention, but- um, Oh, you can just speak up too, by the way. You don't necessarily have to raise thanks. your hand, but uh, good good manners are always good too, so. Yeah, yeah, I am uh, engaged in uh, building up a set of uh, GitHub repos and GitHub actions and Terraform configurations to allow my, my client to, client's engineers to self-service Lambda, AWS Lambda-based uh, little infrastructure stacks and then deploy them in arbitrary environments integrated with other stacks and things. Um, <clears throat> and one of the uh, kind of sticky points is how do we allow a engineer to uh, create a, an ECR, an Elastic Container Registry repository, arbitrarily named? Uh, how do we give them permissions or give the, their GitHub action or GitHub repo permissions to uh, create such a thing in AWS, but not mess with other um, repos. Like I'm not aware of a way to configure an IAM policy that says you can create a repo, but then, and then you can destroy that repo or modify that repo, but you can't modify or destroy or change any other repos. And we're, I'm just wondering if anyone has any ideas about is there some sort of a canned Lambda that, that facilitates this, or is there some IAM feature that I'm not aware of that allows you to do something like this? Seems like kind of a chicken and egg problem, a security chicken and egg problem. Yeah, uh, there are a couple ways to approach it. Uh, we have a way that we do it at Cloud Posse. I've thought about a similar problem that we are gonna have starting uh, later on this year is, uh, we plan to be publishing a lot of our components as OCI images. Uh, and at that time, I think it makes less sense for us to terraform each one of those um, registries and instead just have a GitHub action that actually goes ahead and uh, makes that ECR on the fly dynamically. But uh, I think uh, from the permission standpoint, uh, first you're aware of GitHub OIDC, uh, you're using that for your actions and workflows? Yeah, yeah okay. absolutely. And then uh, you can uh, then uh, restrict uh, which repo can assume which roles, right? Of course, yeah. So then, uh, then you can probably restrict uh, one repo from being able to modify any other ECR registry. Uh, so long as you allow those registries to follow it like a similar naming convention, uh, typically, we always have a one-to-one -one relationship between the uh, service and the um, and the GitHub uh, repo. Now that falls apart if you're using that falls apart ever so slightly if you're using uh, like a mono repo with multiple services in it. Is that what you're using? No, uh, one of my principles has been to break up as much in things into as many repos as possible. Like you know each microservice stack has its own repo and then environments that compose those into a, a deployed you know a set of things have their have a different repo yeah 
Yeah. So a couple ideas on that would be if you want to do this natively in Terraform, um, you can also set now properties on GitHub repositories. So uh, one thing you might consider doing is uh, adding a property for what type of project it is. And then you can maybe query GitHub for the list of repos that have that property. And then the Terraform can dynamically create those repositories for you based on um, you know, the data source selecting those repositories. I haven't confirmed that that data source uh, supports properties, but I'd be curious to see. You're using GitHub? Yeah, yeah, because GitHub and GitHub actions. Actions. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, a property is a GitHub uh, feature of GitHub repos. GitHub Git repos. It's a it's a really new thing, so that's why I'm not necessarily sure if it's going to be supported. Um, supported? You're saying by IAM that an IAM policy could reference this property. Well, in this case, I was talking about, um, so yeah, here you see this type, this is a custom property we added here, and then you can choose what type of uh, repository is from a custom list that you populate. Okay. So then I'm wondering my, let's see here, GitHub. Uh, why is it not showing providers? So let's look at the data sources for this. Repositories, <clears throat> query. Yeah, so you can specify an arbitrary query. So I assume that I assume there's a way to query by property. Mm -hmm. uh, so that would let you then select all Lambda repositories, for example, and then you can automatically uh, provision an ECR registry for each one of those Lambdas. Provided you have the Terraform automation that would allow you to I, run on a basis. I, yeah, I think you're you're missing one slight nuance to the question, Eric. I think from if I understand it correctly, is that you're you're actually saying like you want them to be able to create a an ECR repo and delete an ECR repo that they can arbitrarily name. Yes. But only have certain only have certain repos be able to control, you know, delete ones that they haven't created, basically. Right. And the, the, the sticky part is that the name is going to be arbitrary. You know, we okay. don't know beforehand what engineers are going to name their new services okay. or function or repos. But, but okay, okay. So you, you're totally, Matt, uh, you're totally yeah. right. I just kind of ignored that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't ignore it accidentally. I ignored it being bullheaded. Uh, there's a, you know, there, there's a, uh, Elon Musk says something like, you know, the only laws are the laws of physics. Uh, and, you know, and, and this goes, uh, true with the requirement. What's the requirement that those have to be arbitrary and why are they arbitrary? We don't allow our customers to provision arbitrarily named repositories. It should follow a convention. Otherwise it's a mishmash. And if you're starting from scratch now, and they brought you in as a consultant to do that, mm -hmm. You should be telling them that they shouldn't have arbitrarily named repos. They, arbitrary is a loaded word. What I mean by arbitrary is, you know, your repository is named Fubar. I called my my repo my ECR for some reason Apple. Why is this called Apple and the service is called Fubar? You know, that's what I mean by arbitrary. Yeah. So there should be a correlation, and however that correlation is, that is programmatically deterministically configured. Yeah. 
that yeah yeah absolutely uh, you know we're going to name services uh, the names of services and the names of ecr repos and, and the names of github repos and all those things are going to be co you know cohered together but right. like if 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 an engineer wants to create a new service and if the requirement is they should be able to create this new service without devops help that yeah. means they might name the service you know my org fred service or they might name it my org jane service and yeah. i don't know beforehand what they're gonna how to namespace yeah. im policies i think the the idea behind it would be something like however you're breaking up the repo if mm -hmm. the repo is like a team or whatever let's so let's say it's my org you know my org uh you know service a team or whatever yeah. or you know something that's not aligned that. with a service you know some some team name you basically enforce a standard that has like the the name of your the name of your ecr may be like my org dash team a dash anything arbitrary that you want and then right. you can use im policies to make sure that that repo can only create things under the team a namespace okay. essentially and then they can only delete things under the team a namespace like as well in that case that makes sense yeah that's helpful thanks Sorry, it is. Uh, I, I this was a bit of an unfair softball to lob because it's a pretty, it's a very sort of fundamental like security issue. Like, how do you give yeah. someone a security policy that allows them to create a more restrictive security policy and then expect that to be a real security yeah. policy? It's kind of. Uh, I mean, the other the other things you can get into if you get creative with some other ways is you could probably do something with tagging, and then use a condition. Um, on the on the IAM policy to look at tags that are included in the condition, or use some other condition in the IAM policy for to determine those things. But um, it, that gets really dicey unless you come up with a scheme beforehand that makes sense and covers, you know, covers all of your um, all of your your uh, requirements as well as make sure that there's only a single intersection of all of the the conditions that that grant people access um, okay. to the things that you want them to have access to. Cool, thank you. I appreciate all that advice. I was just gonna, I don't, I, uh, I personally didn't work on the workflow, so I'm having, I'm struggling a little bit finding the right place uh, for it. But conventionally we do this thing where if this is if this is our service, this is its you know this is its unique identifier. You could never have two of those, right? And for the same reason, then we use that same thing in ECR, which is I think what Matt was uh, proposing. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And uh, but I just wanted to I don't think it was now now that we've covered all of that. Now I think it'll be more clear to explain what I was trying to say here I, is what Matt. Oh no, go go ahead. Sorry, I, was, I didn't mean to make us. Yeah. So is that if you created a, a Terraform root module or component, as we call them, uh, which queries now GitHub, if you wanted this to be fully automated and self-service, when you create a GitHub repository and you set its property to Lambda, for example, or ECR or whatever, or you add you add whatever properties this registry needs, then the data source can query for those repositories and take those actions on your behalf. Now, how that when that runs, either manually or through a cron job, would be, depend on your implementation. That would be a way that they can act 
they never need to contact your team to get that uh, registry created. It happens automatically based on the logic. Cool. Yeah. Although you. to be, if they have control over their own repos, then though, then you can easily get a privilege escalation if that runs in an automated fashion. You just change the property on your repo to something that you shouldn't have access to. And now you have access to those other things. Yeah, well, I mean, that's fair enough. But I mean, this gets down to like uh, GitHub permissions and not anyone can set properties. Oh, no, no, no. That's what I'm saying, though, is if you give them admin GitHub permissions to their own repo, they can yeah. do a privilege escalation to, you know, it's an unintended consequence of of that, you know, out there uh, from that perspective. Um, the the thing, other thing I was going to say before is I was going to do a shameless plug of uh, of null label, Eric. Um yeah. And tell them maybe take a look at our um, GitHub Cloud Posse slash uh, Terraform uh, null label. Yeah. And if you look at that module, that's a module to use to generate consistent naming conventions for all kinds of different things that you might want to consist uh, create consistent naming conventions for. Um, and we use that under the hood in all of our modules and, and components and things. Um, so it will help you. Uh, you don't have to worry about creating a standard if you like our standard. So go look at it and take a look at, at how is it can the, be used. Is the naming convention uh, dictated by no label configurable? Like if I want to have org dash component dash environment dash yeah. subcomponent, something like that? Somewhat, yes. Um, there are some keys that are kind of... Uh, uh, re locked in and required, but uh, future not hopefully not too long in the future. We're we're doing some improvement to that so that we uh, it will be completely configurable. But today it is not completely configurable, but it is still flexible um, in, in that you can control the order um, and you may just have to use some key names that don't exactly map to the same thing that you expect them to. I see. Okay. Yeah, so you yeah. can specify the order of those labels. It's it's opinionated right now on the fields like namespace stage, yeah. name, uh, tenant, and attributes, and so forth. You can customize the delimiter, uh, so defaults to a dash, but all of that is uh, overridable. This year, I would expect that you'll see uh, a custom context available here so that you can specify absolutely anything, but that isn't yet um, in the works. Um, either way, you know whether you use null label or someone else's or create your own, I think the pattern has proven itself incredibly effective. And if you're starting from scratch, consider introducing that pattern. Yeah. Or And, and if you don't like everything that we have, fork, fork this module and and make it your own and use, you know, with your own keys and then you'd be, you'd be fine with that as well. Okay. Thanks. I have to run to another meeting, but thanks everybody for all the uh, feedback. Sounds good. Thank you. Hey, I have a quick question. Okay, go for um, it. Hopefully quick. So I've been um, last, I, I used Terraform about four or five years ago. Um, and haven't done a lot with it since then. I've been doing mainly architecture work and uh, leading a practice, and I've recently found myself back in the job market um, and would like to brush up on my 
my hands-on keyboard skills and in Terraform with uh, create some some pipelines and things and just build some nice little projects. Any recommendations on getting some training uh, around building out infrastructure? I understand AWS very well from a you know a, from a technical aspect, uh, but the deploying with Terraform and all of the newer features that have probably come out um, in the last, you know, four years or something. Is there a good like refresher that you could recommend or some projects to work I, on? What, one thing I can definitely recommend um, my, my former colleague, uh, Yogeni Brickman has a book called Terraform up and running that he's, uh, that he's upgraded at every version of um every version of Terraform um, and it covers the, the latest, um, you know, the, the latest version. So the latest version of that book covers all the latest. So I guess it's the third edition is that one. Um, that is actually uh, a fantastic uh, primer on everything Terraform. It takes you through from concepts of how it works at a very basic level, all the way through very deep detailed, um, uh, detailed examples and, and walkthroughs and that kind of thing. So it's a, it's a great book. Okay, great. Cause I know back, back then it was rather clunky, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that things are a little bit better now. Um, from four or five so, years ago, it's, it's improved by leaps and bounds. I mean, yeah. that is from like a more traditional software background. It's, I guess it's still pretty clunky, uh, but it has, it's proven itself to have staying power. And I think it's because it is an easier language for more for most people to get up and running that it's been successful. Um, and maybe I, uh, I have a sneaky suspicion that for the same reason WordPress was successful, uh, it, it, it encouraged people hacking around and coming up with things. Terraform is successful because of its clunkiness, because it's fun to figure out the workarounds. But that's just a sneaky conspiracy theory. No, hopefully it's more secure than WordPress, though, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was a pretty random comparison there. I just meaning that, no, you, know, I know. WordPress, you know, it, it's it's come a long way from its early days and it's a pretty uh, mature framework now, if you will, for a CMS, but still kind of looked down upon and Terraform is looked down upon a little bit from a, a pure application developer standpoint, um, but it does the job and I, I think, you know, it remains to be seen, for example, where Pulumi is going to land in all of this. Uh, but Terraform is still going strong. Okay, great. And then um, I hadn't heard about the licensing issues and things like that with Terraform versus um, um, Open Tofu, right? This is what you guys were talking about earlier. Um, yeah. So th that sounds interesting that they're going to be doing some some other things on the back end. Um, so that'll be interesting to watch. But if I'm talking with people, you know, about Terraform, that would be one one issue to bring up, right? Uh, stuff around licensing. Possibly, but for the most part, uh, everyone can continue. But well, again, uh, I'm going to with, I am not a lawyer and do not take this as legal uh, or uh, legal advice. The gist of it is the licensing changes were targeting companies that were using Terraform in a competitive fashion with Terraform Cloud or Terraform Enterprise, basically ways of delivering Terraform as a service. They didn't, they mm. didn't want that. So, so long as your customer, your future employer, your customers or clients uh, are not trying to recreate 
Terraform Cloud or Terraform Enterprise, you're probably not going to have a problem. Again, consult with your lawyers. Um, I sent the link to the FAQ, which is an important read if you want to uh, get up to speed. It is a lengthy FAQ uh, that answers all the uh, most common concerns and questions there. Um, also, right. also, no uh, no answer would be complete without a shameless plug. Um, so I, Matt's advice on uh, starting with Terraform up and running is absolutely correct. Uh, and then I, I would say it's kind of like when you graduate from that and, and then you actually have to go and implement Terraform, for example, for an enterprise uh, or any larger organization, there are a lot of other challenges that I don't believe are solved in the book uh, from managing configuration at scale itself. Um, so we solve a lot of that in a tool that we wrote called Atmos. And then we have our own thorough documentation on all these concepts um, of components and vendoring and uh, validation and stacks and how to organize it. And then we also talk about design patterns um, and all the different uh, architectural design patterns that we've used leveraging this tool. So this is uh, this is like a tool for cloud architects that are also hands-on uh, in designing what that architecture is going to look like. But it is definitely not the place to start. You have to get you know brush up on the fundamentals and the problems um, that are inherent to Terraform before something like this is obvious. Great, perfect. Well, thank you. All right. Um, any other questions we can get answered today? We got ah, almost out of time. We got three more minutes. Any uh, quick questions? Yes, quick one. Artifactory, yeah or nay? My armchair take on it is um, as an open source product, uh, it, it uh, we I've seen uh, what's the alternative um, nexus come up uh, more often. Um, I don't, one of the biggest problems with hosting Artifactory yourself is now it's in the critical path of everything your developers are doing in your organization, arguably one of the most expensive costs that your company has. And if your Artifactory goes down, now all development ceases to exist, production deployment stop, et cetera. So maybe consider hosted Artifactory if you go that route. Conceptually, I'm really surprised that Artifactory still remains like the only option out there. And I think it's something that is incredibly important for building software that is more and more dependent on open source. Um, you know, NPM projects that import, you know, 5,000 uh, packages in order to operate. And if any of those don't work or you can't pull it, you have a problem. So I, I like that idea from an idea of caching it all. I think it's sad that, you know, from a Terraform perspective that there's no good option for modules doing that. There is a provider, there's a concept of a provider mirror, but no concept of a Terraform mirror. I believe Artifactory solves some portion of that. Now, uh, anyone else? <laughs> That's helpful if no one else has something to say. I've used it as a, at a previous job and I had no issues and someone was bringing it up. I'm at a startup now and I was like, oh, that's a cool tool that I've forgotten about. It could be useful, but I'm wary of recommending things because uh, 
then if they go bad, I'm the guy that's to blame. And so I went to do some research and people were saying that it's not very reliable. This is the hosted version. Uh, sorry, not the self-hosted version, but the, the cloud version. So that's why I was asking to see if people had bad experiences, like real people I can trust as opposed to maybe AstroTurfers on the internet. Yeah, I don't have, unfortunately, any uh, firsthand account on how the cloud service is, uh, except for I do have one kind of complaint uh, from what I've seen and how it's usually implemented. Like when you're operating in AWS, as I believe you are, your company, it's so nice when you're leveraging IAM everywhere and you know no static credentials and assumed roles and IAM permissions and policies govern everything, including ECR. S3, all these conventional places you'll have your artifacts. And then you go to Artifactory and suddenly all that's out the window. And now you have this uh, static credential that's often shared to access the cloud service that gives away all your IP and you're not probably rotating it uh, as often as you should. And does, does HashiCorp Vault probably have a uh, plugin for it? Yeah, probably. Great. Use it if you have that then and get your dynamic credentials. But if you don't have that, and most people aren't using that, um, now you have this problem again that you've been trying to avoid. So I think there's some diminishing returns there um, if you're using it in any way to host your own IP. I that's a very good point. Thanks for bringing it up. I hadn't even gotten that far in my evaluation, but I will keep an eye out for that. That 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 sounds painful. Yeah, and, and you know, again, armchair advice here. I I don't have tactical recent experience with it, and if I said something that's wrong, please let me know. But uh, last I know, that was true. Okay. Uh, thank you, everyone, for the questions and participation. Always uh, interesting to learn uh, from the group here. Uh, we'll be posting a recording of today's session to our YouTube channel. Go to youtube.com slash cloudposse to get that. If you found it interesting and want to share it with your team, that's a great way to do it. If you are interested in working with Cloud Posse, go to cloudposse.com slash quiz, answer a few quick questions, and you'll book, book a session with me directly. Uh, we also syndicate our office hours as a podcast. Go to podcast.cloudposse.com and listen to it however you listen to podcasts. To register for our live and interactive office hours, go to cloudposse.com slash office hours to register. You'll get an invite to your uh, inbox. We have a newsletter, uh, syndicates a lot of the interesting links. Not everything we talk about, but, but some of them uh, go to newsletter.cloudposse.com. So that's it. Talk to you all next week. Same time, same place. Take care.